Praise the Lord, that just makes me want to do what I did this morning all over again. <laughs> oh, I enjoyed that truth we had today. I enjoy the fact that the Lord is coming again. But I'm also persuaded of one thing for sure. There'll never be peace on this earth until the Prince of Peace comes and take up his place on the throne. Jesus made a statement. He said, I didn't come to send peace but a sword. Jesus came to divide so that he could add, so that he could multiply, and I'm glad that's true. But one of these days, when the Prince of Peace comes, and this world will know peace, because we're going to get to live in a new city, in a new country, where our God's not ashamed to be called our God, and he's not ashamed to call us his people. Won't that be great, Brother Tom? I tell you, that'll be glorious when we think about that. I want you to take your Bible tonight and turn me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 15. I preached on this passage of scripture with you a good while ago, but it wasn't too long ago until in the bedroom there, the Lord began to deal with my heart about this passage of scripture fresh and new. And he didn't deal with it just in relative terms, but making that thing relationship or making it relative to you and me. You know, a sermon's no better then the Holy Ghost making it relevant to us. You can have a revelation, but if He doesn't make it in real to you, that's all you got is an empty, empty word. But when God brings that down to where you live and brings it down to where you are, then that's when the message is to you personally. That's the reason God gives a sermon to a preacher, gives a message to a preacher, and it has your name on it. Now He may not call you by name, but it's got your name on it. That's when God brings the reality of the revelation to you. Now you can hear John 3.16 or you can hear a verse of scripture over and over. But you haven't really heard that verse until the Holy Ghost brings it to you. And that's what we call making it relative. That a revelation without relevancy causes ritualism. It's nothing but form without fire. It has no substance to it. But when God begins to speak and deal, it becomes precious. And I have enough sense to know that when God gets ready to deal with the church, or He deals with problems in the church, or He deals with progression of a church, that God's going to talk to His man about some things. Well, I'm glad God talked to me about this particular passage of Scripture, because I needed it, and we need it as a church. For us to go on and find out what happens. Now, what this sermon will do tonight, it'll answer a question, why so many children of God lose their joy. Now, joy is a characteristic that is conducive to fellowship. It is a word that we use that is a fruit of the Spirit that it happens to born-again believers. When God first saves you, there is a joy. And this thing of salvation, like I preached this morning, ladies and gentlemen, is a good thing. When God saves you, He does a good thing for you, not a bad thing. God doesn't take away the good and give you the bad. He takes away the bad and gives you the good. But you don't know how good it is till after you get saved. Boy, this thing of salvation, you look at salvation and you think, well, I don't need saved, that's so bad. No, salvation is good. And the old things that passed away are not worth anything in relationship to the new things that come in their place. Because when God saves you, old things pass away, and behold, all things become new, and those new things are better than the old things that you thought were so good. See, you didn't know how good they were till you got them. That's the relevancy. You can talk about being saved all day, good or bad, but when you get saved, you'll find what joy is all about. But you can lose that joy. But if you ever lose your joy, you need to know something, you lose your strength. Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. After a while, it'll become duty, form, and ritual, church membership. We'll go through the form, we'll go through the services without any fire whatsoever in our spirits. Without any fervency, without any zeal, without any enthusiasm, something happens on the inside of us. But what causes that to happen? How do we get in such a state? And how does God get us out of the state we're in when we lose that joy? Well, I hope tonight to be able to answer that. Because it is an individual matter, though it's collective. In other words, God's going to do it for the congregation of Israel. And they had a revival at Marah. Which means bitterness. And we'll talk about that tonight. But it took the power of God to change the condition once bitterness took over in their lives. Let's look at it here in Exodus. 
chapter number 15, as we begin reading at verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. Now, I want to read again from Psalm, turn with me to Psalm 105. Psalm 105. What you see in Exodus chapter 15, the children of Israel had just come from the Red Sea. Before the Red Sea, they'd come out of Egypt. Now in the book of Exodus, you don't see the attitude of the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. But I want to show you what the Holy Ghost wrote through the psalmist concerning the attitude of the people when they came out of Egypt. Remember the story of Exodus 12. When they came out of Egypt, they came out through the blood of a lamb. They had spoiled the Egyptians and taken silver and gold from them as a gift. And use that later to build the tabernacle that was in the wilderness. God was supplying the need for them even before they knew it. But we don't see their attitude when they came out of Egypt. Except as the Holy Ghost revealed that in the Psalms. Psalm 105, look at verse 37. He brought them forth also with silver and gold. And there was not one feeble person among the tribes. Verse 42. For he remembered his holy promise, and Abraham his servant, and he brought forth his people with joy, and his chosen with gladness. Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, it said they did eat their food with gladness. That which prevailed in the congregation was joy and a spirit of gladness. That which prevailed at Pentecost among the new believers was joy and a spirit of gladness. And that which was given of a verse that I shared with you this morning in Luke chapter 2, that the angel told the shepherds, I bring good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. Boy, these are glad tidings. These are good tidings, it means. There's born unto you in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. In other words, when you get saved, God puts a life in you and there's a gladness and there's a joy in your soul. Now, He wants us to live with that. That is ours. We have a right to the joy. That's the reason it's the fruit of the Holy Ghost. We have a right to live victoriously, to live joyfully, to live with gladness. When they came out of Egypt, they came out under the leadership of God. Let me show you one more verse in the Psalms. Psalm 77. Look in Psalm 77. Look at verse number 20. Thou ledest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now get the picture with me, folks. Let's, let's get this thing in right perspective. Here's the children of Israel in Egypt, in Egyptian bondage as sinners. Through the blood of the Lamb, they come out. God gives them a cloud. And the scripture says that God led them by the hand of Moses and Aaron as a shepherd does a flock. In other words, what happened at Mara was not intended to take away their joy because God led them to the right place. Now don't forget this. There was nothing wrong with where God led them. But they lost their joy at Mara. And they lost their joy in the right place. Doing the wrong thing. Did you know you can be in the center of God's will and do the wrong thing? Just because you're in God's will doesn't mean you're going to do the right thing. Here God led them like a flock. And He led them and they had joy and they had gladness. In other words, in the leadership of which Moses 
was the leader and the shepherd, God said, I led you. I put the cloud out there. And by the hand of Moses, I led you like a flock. And you had gladness and you had joy and you were thrilled over where you were going. But now this is not what you see, is it, in Exodus. Go back now to our lesson that we're studying here this evening. What's going to happen to these people is that when they come tomorrow, they come expecting and anticipating fresh and sweet waters in this place. You've heard me say this about Mara. It was the drinking place for the children of God on their way to the promised land. That God led them there. God brought them there. And their expectation and their joy and their anticipation and their enthusiasm and gladness was that we will find in that place a sweet drink of water. But you know when they came to that place, they found bitterness. Now where is the drinking place for the children of God now on the way to the land of promise? Here it is right here, the church. I know with joy she draw water from the same wells of salvation. Praise God, it's good to be saved, folks. But God leads this church along just like a flock. And He intends for you to have joy and He intends for you to have gladness. He intends for us all to have that. But you know what? We got the same thing they had. Except, you know, I wonder, I wonder if we have visitors come to see us. If we have visitors come to see us, what are they expecting out of us? Sweet spirits. <laughs> Some real sweet spirits. I wonder if God let the visitors get a hold of what we really like, what we'd be. Oh, how sweet are we to the visitors? How sweet are we to the newcomers? But you know what? We're likely to say, well, they couldn't judge us. Huh? Hey, what if God sent some people by the Calvary Baptist Church Mm -hmm. on their way to glory? Maybe a saved visitor or maybe a sinner. What kind of treatment are they going to get through your spirit and mind? Uh-huh. You said it doesn't make any difference. It makes all the difference in the world. Boy, there's nothing quite like a bitter spirit in some people in the church. Oh, did you know something can happen in you, make you bitter? Things can happen in your life, make you bitter? Turn your joy into sorrow? Turn your life into bitterness. I mean your life can be characterized by nothing but bitterness and distastefulness and discontentment over what happened. And they could, they wanted to blame Moses. Oh yeah, they got stirred up alright. I mean Brother Tim preached a lot about getting stirred up. You know the easiest way to get poor folks stirred up? Is just do right. And somebody's going to get you. Somebody's going to stop him. The devil's going to stop him if he can. See, one of two things has got to happen, folks. You must know this. Either the devil's going to stop his church or we're going to stop him. And you say, well, how's he going to do it? How's he going to stop us? By getting us bitter. He said, what is bitterness? It means resentful of one another. Spiteful of each other. Feeling and holding grudges toward each other. <laughs> Hurting one another. Saying things about each other. Doing things to each other in their presence. Until after a while. Mm, get to taste that person's spirit. Nothing but bitter. Well I'm glad. Thank God they had revival down tomorrow. Amen. Amen. I want to say one too. Amen. I, and I'm not talking about revival in which we're confessing a bunch of sins and things of that nature. I'm talking about one thing tonight. And that's returning to the place of joy and sweetness. Hmm. The secret, the secret, these people are going to lose their joy. You know why? Because they encounter something they didn't expect in a way they didn't expect it. 
and from whom they didn't expect. Because when they got stirred up, you know who they blamed? Moses. They murmured against Moses. And Moses was the one who led them out there as a shepherd. But where did he lead them? He led them into dryness. Look back up at verse number 22. And Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. And they went out into the wilderness of Shur. Man, there's sometimes, Brother Carter, I want to, I want to preach something so bad, I want to get out what's in me. And it's hard to get out what's in me unless you know all of what I know about it. And it's not that I'm so smart, but it's just I know more about this subject since I'm preaching it than you do. <laughs> and see, I, I'm, I mean, I, I'm, I'm like this. I want to shovel it out. Get it. Get it. See what happened. The end of where they had just been was the Red Sea. And the last thing you see is in verses 20 and 21, when Mary and the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and the women went out with her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, singing to the Lord, for he had triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Now wouldn't you like to stay right there? Oh, have you ever wished you were like Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration and tell Jesus, Lord, we've just had such a spiritual experience with you. Let's just build three tabernacles and stay up here. Well, have, have you remembered on your journey toward heaven? Your first encounter and failed it. And then you got right. And boy, the doorbells began to ring again. That's exactly what happened at the Red Sea. They murmured, they complained. But God parted the sea, drowned the Egyptians. Oh, they saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. So in a spirit of glory and ex- I mean exaltation and thrill, they're satisfied where they are. And about that time, God said, move. you got to go on. You can't stop here. You can't stay here. Yeah. I want you to look again where it said and Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. See that little word for brought? It means to pull up. God had to get a hold of them and pull them to get them to go. You know, sometimes we're so satisfied with our spiritual condition. Man, we're almost like we're spiritual giants. We've just about reached our plateau. We've reached about the glory and we're going to stay right here. We got it. Hallelujah. We're going to keep it and we're going to stay right here. I got news for you. By the time you decide that you have arrived spiritually, he's going to lead you into dryness and say, you got to get on with this life. Time you got on with it now. But Lord, I don't want to go any farther. I'm satisfied right here. This is where the glory is. Let's beat the tambourines and let's shout and let's have all the glory. And God said, now, if you're going to have a future, you're going to have to let go of the past and the present. And if you don't go on, I can't do another thing for you. But they didn't want to go because they didn't know where they were going. But they had to follow that cloud where they knew what was going to happen and knew where they were going or not. So God brought them. So Moses brought them. In other words, pulled them along. But look at verses 20 and 21 again and just note them. I don't read them again. I've already noted them. That was a glorious, triumphant time. But God said, now, I want you to depart. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and went into the wilderness of Shur. So that little phrase, went into, means to draw out of and push into. In other words, it's time for you to go on, on your journey toward heaven, into another experience. But you say, but preacher... When God led them into the next experience, it was worse than the one just behind that. I got news for you. Until they got to the land of promise, there was one encounter right behind the other one, worse than the other one. But every one of them intended to show the miraculous hand of God. Why do you think God allows us to go into dryness like conviction? Why does God put Holy Ghost conviction on the sinner? So he'll cry out for God. Why does he make him miserable? Because he'll hunger for God. Without Holy Ghost conviction, nobody's going to get saved. Oh, but listen. 
the destination. He says, pull up ten pins. Pull up your tents. Go into the place of God's choosing. Now God didn't tell them what it's going to be like. But you have to remember that after the triumphant experiences, after all the fleshly encounters, after all the failures, after all the difficulties, and after all experiences that you have, you're going to have to go on. So what happens is God commands them to go on. But when they go on, look again at where, where they are going. Because the scripture says, He led them into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days and found no water. You mean that God led them into dryness? That's exactly right. Because Jesus said, If any man thirst, let him come into me and drink. Hey folks, sinners don't get saved till they get thirsty. And getting thirsty is dryness of soul. That's when God dries you up inside. That's when nothing can satisfy you. Nowhere can satisfy you. That's when God puts conviction on you. That even the way you get to where you can't sleep, you get to where you can't eat, you get so miserable for it, God, you say, God, I want you to save me. He said, well, I'll never cry out for salvation. You will if He leads you in the Holy Ghost conviction. I praise God for Holy Ghost conviction, but just because you get convicted, that's not time to stop, that's time to go on. He said, go on to where? Go on to the cross, go on to salvation, go on to what God has for you. But what about the children of God? Oh, what about us? What about the things that we need to know? Now here they've made their journey. Now they come to the place of Mara, and let's look at this thing again. When they come to Mara, they tasted the waters, but the waters were bitter. Does anybody, help me now, come on now, help me. I'm going to be like that cutting preacher, give me a witness now. Any of you know what bitterness means? Anybody give me an idea of bitterness? What is bitter? Now you husbands and wives ought to be able to do that because the Bible said husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. I mean somewhere along the way your husband's probably been bitter. Oh, I didn't really expect you to tell that. One thing for sure, if anything is bitter, it means it is distasteful. Like quinine, for instance. Or suffer water. I had a drink of one time. But it means something that gives off a harsh distasteful taste once it's tasted. It also means something that's hard to bear and hard to deal with like a bitter sorrow. Or it could mean something hard to admit or accept like a bitter lesson. Or it could mean harsh and sarcastic and cutting like bitter words. You know, the Bible says the wounds of a talebearer go down into the belly and wound that person. Words can be cutting and harsh and hurting. And the tongue has the power of life and death in it, the scripture says. With this thing, we can use as a sword and cause such a harshness and a cutting to where the person has been wounded and got a bitter taste from our spirit. But it's also the characterized by intense antagonism or hostility, bitter hatred, for instance, or we call it spitefulness. But it carries out of resentful. We resent what someone has done, we resent what someone has said. And by the way, sometimes in injustice and wrong like abuse. It is most difficult to deal with our spirits and keep them right. It's hard to keep from being bitter according to the degree of hurt a person has caused us. Some bitter experiences can never be changed. Some husbands and wives have become unfaithful to one another and bitterness always exists between them. Some husband or wife leaves and leaves the other one in a bitter spirit, someone that hurt you. But the worst of all is to be hurt at church. Because at church, a person can hurt you and not mean to. A person can mean to. And you say, well, I didn't know that would happen. I was open to that person. 
But it's so easy, ladies and gentlemen, for us to become bitter. Well, when you, when you, when you think about bitter, let me show you what can happen. Turn with me over into the New Testament, and let's deal with this truth for just a few minutes. The book of James, chapter 3. The book of James, chapter 3. Look at verse 14. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. Then verse number 16. For where envying and strife is, there's confusion and every evil work. Now notice what he said. He talks about bitter envying and strife. Now strife, I've already talked about bitter. But envying has to deal with jealousy or resentment. That I've already mentioned. But this word for strife means quarrel or contention. He said where you find quarreling and struggling and contention. Whether it be between individuals or as a church family against family. Or ever how that thing operates. He said whenever you find that. You're going to find two things. And it's going to be like opening the door to them. One is confusion. He said confusion is going to come in that life. Until disorder is there. There's no more peace. There's no more rest. There's no more contentment. The life is turned over to resentment and bitterness and begins to eat on that individual like a cancer. The word for strife carries the idea of contention. As though we say, at this point something has happened, a controversy came or a debate came or dispute came or hard words came and then once the strife was there, bitterness set in and resentment set in, then confusion took over and when confusion took over it said made the place for every evil work. Do you know what? We would not allow people to come in here and sell liquor, would we? We'd never do that. First thing you'd do, rise up. If I were to say, hey folks, I've invited a liquor dealer in here and let him sell liquor to us. Now first of all, you'd have to send me off to the funny farm because you know something doesn't happen to me. (laughs) And I would vote for it. Amen. I'd vote me out (laughs) if I did that. But we talk about evil works. And we want to talk about the casino and that casino crowd. Let me tell you something just as bad as casino and just as bad as a liquor crowd. And that's a child of God who's got bitter envy and strife in him because he opens the door for every evil work. Did you notice it said every evil work? That means he opens the door to let evil works take over in his life and the life of his family and of his church. That's the reason I can't afford bitter envying and strife. I can't afford resentment. I can't afford jealousy. Not because of what it does to others alone, but what it does to me. I can destroy myself. I can destroy my spirit. I can lose my joy. All because I can't handle the right spirit and I get bitter. Now what happens when you get bitter? Thank you for asking. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 13, or verse 15 rather, looking diligent, lest any man fell of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. How many of your gardeners work in the garden? When I was a boy, my mother had a green thumb. I hated to come home from school and mother say, Son, go get the shovel. I want to plant some rose bushes or whatever it was we're going to plant. She was a gardener from back there. Well, I may not learn very many things. may not know very many things. But I know, according to some trees or some plants or some vines, what you see on the surface may not be as great as what's underneath. A root is not a single root. It can be a root that springs out. Well, you know what he said, a root of bitterness? He said, be careful, let the root of bitterness get in And mean to be defiled. In other words, when it gets in you, the person you got it toward, you're going to see the root goes out there of that person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Say Tom does something to me, cause me to be resentful of him. 
Boy, inside of me, I let this root of bitterness spring up. You know what that spring up means? It means pot it. You know what it means to pot a plant? Mm-hmm. You pot that plant, you take care of that plant, you water that plant, and you put in nutrients in that plant, and you're going to take care of that plant. And that's the way some people are with their bitterness. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to remember what they said about you. I'm going to what they did to you. I'm going to pot you. And you know what's going to happen? That root's going to start growing. The first thing you know, you're going to defile many. Well, since it's real good, you're going to go home and tell your husband or your wife. Then you're going to tell your children and defile them. And then you're going to get on the telephone. And you're going to say, you know what? They didn't even talk to me about that church. Or you know what they did to me about that church? And first thing you know, you're going to defile their mind. And first thing you know, you've got a bunch of members in your family and you've got a bunch of friends and they're all bitter. And they don't know how they got that way. But they got that way because your root just went out there and tangled them around. You've got a root of bitterness in you. And it says, trouble you. He said, let it trouble you. And that word for trouble here means, means to crowd up, to crowd around, to vex you. They pot that thing. But he said, thereby many be defiled. In other words, it's going to get out there to them. Don't mm. get them. First thing you know, you're bitter toward everybody. I remember one time, I was allergic. The only thing in this world, as far as I know I'm allergic to, is cow's milk. Unpasteurized. Now, I love milk. But unpasteurized, uh, from a cow, I can't drink it. I do, I break out in whips all over me. When I was a kid, though, I had the rash. Took me to every specialist in Tupelo. Took me to Memphis. They said I had to eat. They treated me for everything. I couldn't stop eating. I kept drinking that raw milk. Have any of you ever drunk raw milk? Well, since you have, can I ask you another question? Have you ever eaten cow's milk when they had eaten bitter weeds? Have you? Yeah, isn't it terrible? That's what you want to do. But can you imagine this cow that's eating these bitter weeds? And the farmer, he doesn't know that that cow's eating those bitter weeds. So he goes in there and he milks that cow and he brings this, this bucket of milk into the house and he pours every child some milk and he pours his wife some milk and he gives some milk and he has a toast. <laughs> and when they all drink it at the same time, what did they do? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why? Because it defiled many. And that's the reason why when you get bitter, you may not know it. But if somebody milks you, look out. (laughs) (laughs) Did you get a taste of that? Boy, I went up there to that church expecting to get me a good drink of milk. Man, alive, I milked that person. and You won't believe what I got out of her. What I got out of her. The cow didn't know it. But everybody else did before the cow found it out. You know, it's hard to get the cow to drink her own milk. Because the cow can taste the bitter too if you try to give it back to her. And you know, usually a, bird, a bitter person doesn't know he's bitter until somebody done milked him and got a taste of it, and other people done milked him and got a taste of it, and he's the last one to find it out. Well, i got news for you. If you ever get bitter, you can't get sweet. Are you listening? Without a miracle. You can't get rid of bitterness once it gets hold of you. 
Resentment entangles you like a root. You pop that grudge, you pamper that grudge, you pet that grudge, and all the time it's growing. And it's defiling others with that spirit. There's nothing worse in this world than a bitter spirit. By the way, that can be in lost people as well as saved people. One of the reasons some sinners don't get saved is they're bitter toward God because God said they had to get saved. God said you had to let go of the world in order to get saved. And they're bitter toward God. Oh, we see sinners all the time. They don't want to go to hell. No, no. But neither do they want to let go of that which has ruined their lives and contaminated their lives. The sin that is there. He says, well, how do they do it? The same way we do. A miracle. A miracle. That's what they needed. Now look at that. Look at what happened. When they came to the water and tasted the waters that were bitter. So they turned and murmured and complained. They murmured against God's man and blamed God's man. If He hadn't done what He'd done and He hadn't brought us down into this wilderness the way that it is, we wouldn't be in the shape we're in. But that wasn't the truth. It was there. And God brought them into it. And let them see it. So they could deal with it. Oh, praise God, folks. Watch what happened. They're murmuring, they're complaining. God's man goes to God and God said, Moses, cut down that tree over there. When you cast that tree into the waters, the waters will get sweet. And watch this, I'll be through here in just a minute. What happened was that when he took that tree, as though that was the tree right there, Scripture said he cast it in the waters. Doesn't mean he just let it slide down. It means he took it like this and he cast it into the water in the presence of everybody. Now I know that you know what that tree is a symbol of. Because the New Testament says that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. It's a symbol of the cross. When Moses took that tree and cast it into the water, there was an element in the water that didn't belong in the water that had made it bitter. See, water of itself is not bitter. Water, clear water, pure water is tasteless. It's when you put an element in the water that makes it either sweet or bitter. It's like when you drink coffee in the morning, if it's instant, you take a cup of clear water and you put coffee in it, then it has the element of coffee in it. Well, the same thing is true of your life and mine. We let somebody or ourselves put some things in us not supposed to be in us. Or we let the devil put some things in us not supposed to be in us. Like resentment or bitterness, hurt feelings. I'm not just only known, no matter what they are. They're not supposed to be in us. But they get in us. I don't care who you are, the best of us to get in us. And they're not supposed to be in us. And we can't get them out without the cross. Oh, listen now. When he raises this to throw it in that water, something's going to happen to that element. They're not going to be able to keep that element. That element is going to be judged by that tree. And judgment will come on that element, and it's going to get rid of that element. You couldn't tell that the element is in the water by looking at it. Not until you had the experience of tasting it. When they cast it in, when he cast it into the waters, it says the waters became sweet. Why did they become sweet? Because the power of God on that tree enabled them to see a miracle in the waters. I tell you the only way to get rid of bitterness, you need a miracle through the cross. If you want to, but all are still going to be bitter. What we need is to come to the cross. 
and say, God, I got something I can't get rid of. You say, preacher, do I have to name it up? Don't even name it at all. Don't always do good to really have things and bring things up. Don't do that. Just say, God, here I am. God, here I am bitter. And to the cross, please, God, relieve me of what I've let get inside of me. For what reason? So you can go on. So you can go on. Listen, listen. At the Red Sea, they're triumphing gloriously. They'd like to stay there. That wasn't all God had for them. He had experience after experience after experience. Every experience was a new beginning. Every encounter was a new opportunity. Because in the morning, if it was in the morning when the cloud arose, it was ready for them to leave where they were and go on. But oh, listen, ladies and gentlemen, you can't stop. If someone ever hurts you or wounds you and you stop spiritually, it's like looking back. Everybody will go on but you. You know what will happen then? When they go on, they left you back. But when you stopped, you weren't back. You were present. But when you decided to stop because of what someone did or said, and everybody else went on but you, you were back, left behind. And you say, well, I think I'll just live here to Red Sea. Red Sea was a good place to be in the experience while it was that time. But that experience was over, and they had to go on. What I'm saying to you, I don't know what your experience is today, but when morning comes, you got a new day. And you got a new beginning. And that means go on. But you say, how do you go on, preacher? A miracle. I found it true. It's so easy to get bitter. Now, I told you this in another sermon a few years ago, but I want to just share it with you now. Because I had a real battle with this thing of bitterness over there. I preached a meeting in Alabama. This preacher said every night I was there. And I was there for nine days. He said every night for the offering. He said every penny of this offering goes to Brother Shipman. You give as God leads you, as God guides you, every penny of it goes to him. Last night I was there. The pastor said, Brother Charles, our treasure's not here. I'll send you the love offering. I said, fine. Well, two or three weeks went by. Finally got the love offering. $500. I thought, that's fine. Two or three months later, a preacher friend of mine who had visited that meeting every night asked me a question. He said, Brother Charles, how much was your love offering for that meeting? The first thing I thought was, you nosy preacher. You're my friend, but you nosy. Because I never had anybody ask me that before. Never had any other preacher ask me that before. But I thought, boy, you sure are nosy. He said, now come on, Brother Charles. He said, the reason being. Then he said, no, no, tell me first. I said, $500. He said, okay. But he said, I know this because I know the treasurer. He said, your love offering was $900. And he said that preacher told the treasurer, don't you send that money to him till we take out the expenses of the revival menu. Now I wouldn't have cared, ladies and gentlemen, if the offering, if every night he had said, this money is for the expenses of the meeting and Brother Shipman's love offering. I wouldn't have cared. It wouldn't have me at all. But when this preacher friend of mine told me that that preacher stole that $400, now you can talk about how spiritual you are y'all you want to you talk about how gracious and kind you are all you want to and you can talk about it won't ruffle you no matter what anybody says or here or does all you want to 
Man, I felt something inside of me wanting to rise up. But the attitude, get him, God. I want to, I, man, I want to Jonah on him. Build me a gourd up here on top of the hill, see what's going to happen to him. I sensed it coming, but I knew I couldn't afford it. I knew I could not let what someone else had done to me cause me to become bitter. But I was becoming bitter. I could sense it in my spirit. I could sense it in my heart. Something was happening to me. And I hadn't done anything wrong. That's what I meant. They were in the right place. God led them there. I was in the right place. That preacher did me wrong, but I was about to get wrong over the wrong he did to me, and both of us would have been wrong. Then what did you do? I tried to push it aside. I tried to get it out of my mind. And all I could think about, that thief stole my love offering. That preacher stole my money. It was mine. God said it was mine. He gave it to me. But people gave what God said and he stole it. I couldn't sleep at night. <laughs> and what did you do? I finally went down to the altar. And I stayed there for a long time. It wasn't the fact that I just wanted to stay a long time. It took that long before I could ever let go of it. I needed God to stop that root before it got planted. And I told him, I said, God, if he can live with it, I can live without it. Let him have it. <laughs> I said, God, when I got willing to let him have my $400... I was free. Hallelujah, I was free. I went on my way. Oh, a good while after that, I was in Georgia. And I was preaching on unforgiveness. And the organist was the wife of a millionaire who had a carpet business there in Dalton, Georgia. And I tell you this illustration. When the service is over, this man walked across... And handed me a check for four hundred dollars from that organist, and she said, "This will take care of what that preacher stole." I said, "Hallelujah, Lord!" I've seen that preacher a couple of times since that time, and you know he won't speak to me. He won't. He see me coming, and one one time saw me coming, and went that way. But praise God, I can face Him. I can look at Him. He just can't look at me. Amen. Mm-hmm. Because He know what He did inside. But I don't know what I'm telling you. The only way I could get free to keep it from happening was the tree. I had to let go of what was in me. I couldn't deal with what was in me. And praise God, when I got rid of what was in me, I could live with it. You know that thing's true of salvation or sanctification. In salvation, you got to be willing to let everything go. All resentment, all bitterness, all jealousy, all strife, all debate, all sins, good or bad, makes a difference what, and just get honest with God and come to the cross and through the Lord Jesus Christ's blood, He'll forgive you of your sins and get rid of everything that's in you. But after you get saved... If you allow bitterness to get in, it'll become a root. And then you'll pot it. It'll start growing its tentacles. First thing you know, it'll wrap around this person, around this person, around this person, and it'll defile, contaminate, and cause confusion and every evil work. First thing you know, you'll start lying things in you other than the bitterness. The confusion will add in. The evil work will add in. The evil attitudes will add in. The criticism will add in. The judgment will add in. And first thing you know, your life will start being one whirl mass of bitterness. And that will be your spirit. So how do you get rid of that preacher? By throwing the tree in the water. When I got at the altar, and I dealt with it, and told God, I can't. Praise God, I could. See, when you can't, you can. But when you can, you can't. And that's what he did. 
I do know this for us as a church and as for me as your pastor. Brother Mike is our associate pastor in the new directions that we're going and what we're doing. God's got something on the horizon that he's beginning to come bring into focus. But I want to tell you, we can't stay in the past. We've got to go on. We've got to go on with the present and walk into the future for the glory of God. I will say this as very carefully as I can. I love the Calvary Baptist Church with all of my heart and I'm your pastor and I will be until God tells me to leave or takes me home to glory. Brother Mike is our associate pastor. He does most of the work around here as far as the pastoral duties are concerned. But we have got a two-fold ministry as a church. We have got the local church that is not the end within itself. If that's all we've got is the local church, then we've limited ourselves. We've got a Mississippi Delta Count meeting that reaches out to the four corners of the earth. It's intended to do that. That's the reason we're putting the world down on the other side. And the Calvary Baptist Church without the Mississippi Delta Count meeting is dead. And the Mississippi Delta Count meeting without the church is dead. Are you hear what I'm telling you? Hey folks, don't get bitter and don't get resentful of what we're doing around here. We may make some mistakes. We may, may make some bad choices and decisions. But if we do, by the grace of God, we're going to try to straighten those out and deal with those as best we can because this church is on the move. It's not intended to stay still and die. That's right. Amen. Are you all listening to me? Somebody said, well, he's leaving. We done gone through all that. Ain't nobody going anywhere until God says go. But God's saying to the whole church, get at it. At the end of next month, you are at your peak. So what do you mean at your peak? God could have kept this church, a little Baptist church, hidden out here at Wycombe. Now, there wouldn't be anything wrong with that if that's what God intended. But God, for some reason or another, decided in 1983 to give this church a Mississippi Delta Count meeting. Your pastor, in 1983, for the first count meeting, before the first count meeting, the week before was standing in a Kentucky Fried Chicken in New Albany. I already had the ten preachers to come in here that first meeting. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me. I was standing with my tray in the hand waiting to throw my trash into the garbage can and the Lord said, you're not giving this the importance to it. Talking about the kids count meeting. Rung my bell and shook my tray. Because all I wanted was just a count meeting for you and me. I was a part of Myrtle, Kemzine. I thought that was always going to have. I'd stay a part of that. And we'd have this too. But that wasn't what is the way it's going to work. When I first came out here, I used to talk to some of you right here. Some of you. All of you. You said this church has got a purpose, but we don't know what it is. Do y'all remember telling me that? We've got a purpose, but we don't know what it is. What I'm saying to you, don't you forget those four corners when we prayed and the Lord met with us on those four corners. Don't you forget when he said there's something on these grounds for the poor. And don't you forget what he said when he said you keep alive what Percy Ray started. I didn't mean to build another Kem Zion. I meant to build a place here on these grounds where God could send the spiritually hungry and thirsty and they'd find sweet waters. Some you need to know. The devil is trying everything he can to stop this church and has ever since it started in its existence. You've been through trials. You've been through difficulties. You've been through hell backward in some things of your spirit. You've been tried and tested. You've come to one experience right after another experience and not know why you got there and know what was going on. But it was because God had something in mind. Got something in mind. And he's had that. We've been disappointed in preachers at times. We've been disappointed in ourselves at times. We've been disappointed in people who stood and said they'd be in here until Gabriel blew his horn. But we can't find them. 
Well, I won't tell you, it's easy to get bitter and resentment as some of the preachers who said they were going to do such and such and didn't do it. But I'm saying to you tonight, it's not time to get bitter at any individual for doing or not doing, but it's time by the grace of God to listen to the Lord in the cloud and say we're going on and leaving the past behind us. All I'm saying to you is this, we need this church and its local ministry, but we also need the Mississippi Delta Camp Meeting and its outreach. And you can't do one without the other. God help us not to become limited in our vision short sighted in our perspectives God help us not to become disheartened and discouraged because the dryness and the disappointments that are involved and the discouragements even the passage of scripture in question that I did not read said it was there that God tried them God tested them God proved them now why did God put them through all of that to test them and prove them so they could learn the lesson that they did so that they'd make it to the land of promise. Why has God allowed us to go through what He has? Why has God put you through what He does so that you can handle what He's got for you in the future? Oh, how many times have we said, ladies and gentlemen, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that God allows us to go through things and comforts us with His Spirit so we can comfort those who are in trouble like us. Hey, I'm not patting us on the back and saying we're anything special. <laughs> I don't know how you feel. I believe Brother Carter knows how I feel about this and any preacher would know how I feel about this. But a preacher feels so unworthy to even be called of God a preacher. Why would God call an outfit like this? I don't know. Why God had called me to preach? I don't know. The only thing I have said it magnifies His grace. Somebody can look and say if He can, I can. Or if He can, anybody can do it. As you see, God's not through calling men to preach yet. He's still got somebody in this church. I told you this years ago, and I've never let it out. Nobody knows this but me. Years ago, back in the early 80s, while walking in that town, in that fellowship hall over there, God told me there was someone in our church he's going to call to preach. And I've never told that till this day. I told you he told me there's one. And when he surrenders to preach, I'll let you know who it is. He said, what are you saying? I'm saying God hadn't changed his mind. He still got in his mind what he intended to do by the grace of God. But there are trials along the way that we must experience. But if we let those trials stop us, then we're not going to be able to take the land. Now, I hope you receive what I'm saying to you tonight. Don't become bitter. This is the drinking place for folks from Mississippi, Michigan, Iowa, Missouri. Who knows where else? Who's coming in at the end of next month to find some sweet waters for a place in a wilderness? Out here by itself. But you say, preacher, what's going to make us sweet? God. The cross. There just comes a time when you have to realize if you stop, you won't have new beginnings. But if you go on, you're going to have one new beginning right after the other. And by the time you think you've learned all there was to know, you got a new day dawning on you. And we got a new day dawning on us, folks. And I got some good news. I want to tell you something else. I don't know whether you've gone out there and walked around that tabernacle or not, but you need to. Charlie and I go out there almost every day. So what do y'all do? Pray. We walk around that tabernacle praying. Searching. She'll tell you as a witness. God's shown up out there time after time for us. Man, he's one witness out there. He hadn't left it. So I don't know what you think about God. But God had let these grounds. What you want to do sometimes, you and your husband get out there. Get out there by yourself and walk around that tabernacle. Walk around there slowly, just one place to another. And talk to God. It's been a blessing to us for us to go out there. 
Because if they don't know anything else tonight, I know one thing. God said, son, you can't stay where you are. Spiritually, you got to go on. That means I don't care how many camp meetings we've had, that's past, we're going on. The church, I don't care how many, what time we've had in the past, we're going on. I don't care what the personalities are of the past, we're going on. I don't care what the preachers were of the past, we're going on. I don't care how many discouragements we've had in the past, we're going on. And I don't care how many of the people said they'd be here and they're not here, we're still going on by the grace of God because we must go on in order to live ourselves. Right. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Right. All right. Let's stand for our prayer, please.